When you own crypto, what really matters is the security and ownership over your assets. Being a part of the bankless nation means having complete sovereignty over your crypto. The easiest way to do that is with a Ledger hardware wallet. A hardware wallet is a little device that manages your private keys for you so you don't have to worry about proper private key management. Your Ledger hardware wallet keeps your private keys private but still lets you have easy access to your crypto. The combination of my Ledger hardware wallet and MetaMask lets me store my crypto assets in the most safe way possible, but still lets me easily access Uniswap or all the other DeFi apps that I use on a daily basis. If you already have a Ledger wallet, you can use the Ledger Live app to participate in some of the money verbs that we discuss in the Bankless program. The Ledger Live app is your headquarters for managing your personal crypto finance. It's a great tool to manage the assets you hold on your ledger, as well as receive a portfolio summary of all the assets that you have stored. Using the Ledger Live app, you can buy Bitcoin, Ether, and stablecoins and have it sent directly to your Ledger hardware wallet, skipping over the trusted exchanges and getting your assets into your control. You can even use the Ledger Live app to swap crypto assets natively inside of the app, so you never need to send your crypto assets away from your ledger to make a trade. Buying a ledger is like buying a fire extinguisher. The best time to get one was yesterday, especially if you're doing something silly, like holding your crypto in a hot wallet that's always connected to the internet. If you haven't gained full control over your crypto yet, go to the link in the show notes and get your ledger today. Bankless Nation, do you want to go fully bankless, but in the real world? Monolith is the DeFi account that you need. It wraps your ETH address in a bankless Visa card, and it does so much more. It closes the loop from fiat to DeFi. So you can onboard fiat to DAI on Monolith with zero fees. Then you can convert that DAI to ADAI, which is an interest-bearing savings account. Again, zero fees. And then you can spend that interest in the real world on a Visa card. So you can finally buy your cup of coffee with interest earned in DeFi. Guys, this is magic. This is the closest thing to the Holy Grail crypto card and Monolith gives you all of it. You need to download the app at monolith.xyz to get your bankless Visa card. It's optimized for European listeners. They'll be coming to the US soon. And when you get that Visa card, the Monolith card, tweet about it when you do. I love seeing people unpackaging their beautiful Bankless Visa cards makes me realize that the revolution is here. Search Monolith in the App Store. Bankless Nation, welcome to another weekly roll-up episode. This is the third week of November, so here's what we do on these episodes. We roll up the week for you. It is Friday morning. Rolling them up. We're rolling it up. David always says that. Fantastic <laughs> way to start your Friday morning. Grab a cup of coffee, catch up on the week that was crypto. We take five minutes, five topics. We try to get through this in 25 minutes. First, we talk about the market. That's going to be thick this week. Releases, news, some hot takes, and then we end with what we are excited about. This gets released every Friday morning on both YouTube and our podcast stream. David, you ready? This is the that's, third week of November, year of our Lord, 2020. Let's get to the roll-ups, my That's friend. rolling them up. All right. Market time. Okay. Uh, Bitcoin. That's had a good week in the really market. I'm going to share. Yep. I'm going to share some price uh, data. I think you're going to be looking at it in just a second. We are over 18,000, my friend. What does this mean? 
Yeah, and specifically over 18,000, but also since there are new Bitcoins out into the market since the 2017 bull run, the combined market cap of Bitcoin is at an all-time high already. So in one respect, we've already broken all-time high. And that actually is the metric, right? Market cap. It's not it's like price can vary because supply gets mm -hmm. inflated, increased over time. So market cap is pretty reasonable. So yeah, Bitcoin's at all-time high. The total value of the Bitcoin network is at all time high. So congratulations to Bitcoin. It, it broke through the ceiling. It's there. And uh, I think people are really bullish about how there seems to be clear skies ahead. Good job, Bitcoin. All right. Let's talk about Bitcoin on Ethereum. Is that up or is that down? It's up. It's always up. It's up by roughly 1,500 Bitcoins. We are at a combined almost 152,000 total Bitcoins on Ethereum. All right. What are some other interesting things? So new addresses created. This is a tweet that Glassdoor put out. Said mm -hmm. the they have just observed the highest number of newly created Bitcoin addresses since January 2018. What accounts for this, David? Yeah, it, part of it has to be new entrances into Bitcoin. That's when Bitcoin price goes up. It's largely a result of uh, more people buying Bitcoin. And we now think because of the macroeconomic environment that a lot of new people are buying Bitcoin. And this is how cycles start. Uh, and so uh, seeing that a record new addresses is now holding Bitcoin is indicative of a lot of people coming into this market. So uh, welcome newbies. Welcome to the train. <laughs> They're on the network. All right. Uh this was an article from Nick Carter. Nine Bitcoin charts already have all-time highs. So this wasn't only the market cap that we talked about just mm -hmm. a few seconds ago. This is some other things. What were your takeaways from Nick's article? Besides, we're having him on the podcast yeah. next, next Tuesday for State of the Nation, but uh, some takeaways here. Yeah, yeah. We're definitely going to peel back all of the layers with uh, Nick directly on the State of the Nation. So stay tuned for that. Uh, but the, the gist of, it, of this is, is that, you know, everything is correlated and everything is at all-time highs, right? And it would be it would be different if just price was at all-time high and and things weren't things like active addresses weren't at all-time high. I remember there was that that fake out pump in 2019 where Bitcoin jumped to 14,000, and a lot of these metrics were not at all-time highs, even though price was. Right now, everything is at all-time highs, so that's just an intrinsic a uh, message to the uh, fundamentals of the network. Yeah, Nick goes through some interesting things that we'll get to on Tuesday about open options interest in the CME being at all-time highs. Even um, <laughs> Bitcoin priced in the Turkish lira is at an all-time high, which is an interesting benchmark that he's going to tell us about a little more. Okay, let's get to ETH. ETH price, how's ETH hanging in there? Uh, I mean, if you, we are measuring it against Bitcoin, it's been falling behind recently. It seems to be Bitcoin is going through this uh, reflexive cycle of Bitcoin highs make new Bitcoin highs and uh, Ethereum. And, and when that happens, uh, other assets tend to get a little shy. Uh, Bitcoin tends to suck the air out of the out of the room. And so things kind of just wait and see for, for Bitcoin to calm down. Uh, the belief is that at the moment that B uh, Bitcoin takes a breath, takes a hesitation, the rest of the market will follow suit. And that's kind of where we think ether is at the moment it's at 475 dollars being, being pretty flat it did break its uh its 2020 highs of 489 dollars i believe with the DeFi summer highs it crept all the way up to 495 i believe uh but it's it kind of it, it and then there was that crash and now we're holding steady at the mid 470s is that was that a two-year high above uh four 490 or so I, yes that is correct yep all right um uh, let's Go back to ETH in a second, but want to check out the DeFi Pulse board that is about the same um, from no, week we're, to we're week. We're up I by 0.3 billion. Point oh, okay. 0.3 billion. We'll take it. 
Yep. Uh, that used to matter a lot more in uh, total locked in, in DeFi, <laughs> but now you know, 0.3 billion here or there. <laughs> Who's to say among friends? Mm-hmm. Um, all right. This was an interesting chart as well. Active addresses on Ethereum are going through the roof, it seems like. Uh, what's your take here? Yeah, same thing. Just that people are coming into the ecosystem. Uh, active addresses on Ethereum are, are a little bit more difficult to discern just because there's so many more reasons to have an address on Ethereum. But nevertheless, like it's at an all-time high. Like we don't need to tell you, like all-time highs are all-time highs. I keep saying that. Okay. Into the cryptoverse. <laughs> so this is our friend, Ben. He yeah. put a great post on Bankless uh, a while ago, but uh, he actually compares Ether mm-hmm. to Bitcoin in like 2015 and 2016. And I mean, this guy is one of my favorite folks in kind of TA. And it's, mm-hmm. it's like, there, there's some TA folks that are just like, you know, painting things on charts and no, absolutely drawing nothing. Yeah. yeah. Drawing shapes. Ben takes a very, uh, Sober machine learning, yes, algorithmic, yeah. mm-hmm. um, data backed yep. take on it, and he looks at the long term. So, what's he saying <laughs> in this? He says this this is sort of extrapolating his models mm-hmm. over to 2014, and he he uh, says that the next bubble, so this bull run that we think we have entered, would put ETH price at nine thousand nine hundred dollars. That's almost at that road to ten k yeah. amount. Do you buy this? What's your take? Oh, yeah. The, the 10K meme is not a meme for just fake memory reasons. The 10K meme is a meme because it's real. Like, ETH is going to 10K. We're all going to get it there. It's interesting. He says the fair value in mid-2023, if you kind of look at his, his data model here, it's about $900. But it, ETH is going to be overvalued by 100% because uh, bull markets that's, swing. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. in the other direction. So he, th- he thinks he, th- this model predicts that it would be $900, uh, $9,000, excuse me, $900 by mid 2023. That is bullish, my friend. Um, that, is, that is by definition bullish. <laughs> right? I mean, like, I, I think his Bitcoin predictions have, have sort of panned out. And yep. um, I don't know, it'll be interesting. But yep. good job, Ben, on that. Um, mm-hmm. But this is a Another, I think, interesting data point uh, from from Cyrus. So for folks that um, aren't looking at the visual here, can you spell out what what this tweet is about? Yeah, so uh, uh, Bitcoin and Ether price, December 7th, uh, 2017, back in the last cycle, Bitcoin was 17,000, Ether was 470,000. Now in November 17th, two days ago, the prices were exactly the same. Uh, and so we've just got three years later, we are full circle back to back to being at the same price as we were three years ago. The difference is back in 2017, that was the peak of the bull market. And in 2020, it seems to be we are at just the base of the bull market. So well, foundation. So what that means, David, is if you if you held Bitcoin from um, that date, like three you, years ago, you basically, the top. and you bought uh, Ether. Mm-hmm. Like it would be the same. There's there's yep. no difference between those two assets. So like all of the gyration up down up mm-hmm. down in the ratio, everything we're all talking of the about, Bitcoin games, fighting. Ether wins, all the fighting, all of it was meaningless. Is that what you're telling me? Like yeah. none of it mattered because <laughs> so we're back yeah. three years ago to where we started. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. That's exactly right. Also, most importantly, uh, December. Uh, is a very hot month for Ether. And okay. p- people, people will remind themselves that in, after Bitcoin rushed up to 20,000-ish, it kind of fell down to 14, while 14,000, well, Ether ripped from like 470 all the way up to $1,400, right? 
historically, Ether has always done extremely well in December, five out of five times. Its best months are all December and it is uh, November, excuse me, it is November 20th right now. So I am getting ready. We'll see what Christmas 2020 brings for the price of ETH. Okay, last thing, because we're taking a lot of time on market, but a lot is happening in the market, to be fair. market week. DeFi is going up as well. This is the DeFi Pulse Index that tracks Mm -hmm. the top uh, 10 or so DeFi tokens. And how much did that appreciate this this week, David? Yeah, last week, a week ago, seven days ago, it was at $81. It is now at $104. It has done a huge huge bump. Uh, People thought DeFi was dead. Uh, Turns out DeFi was not dead. And last week it outperformed Ether. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. All right, David, let's get to releases. So what got released last week? We're really excited about Rocket Pool. And they had a Madasha beta um, pilot, essentially a beta... um, participation that just concluded there does that bode well for them coming to mainnet i think this post here says maybe a 2021 uh q1 launch of rocket pool on staking on the eth2 mainnet what would that mean yeah, yeah. Rocket Pool just going through mainnet after mainnet. The Medalla beta main uh, testnet uh, just concluded, and they're going to roll out another testnet after this, which integrates the RPL token mechanics. That's that's the whole purpose of the next uh, testnet. The reason why we wanted to just get this in the news is, is let you guys know, like Rocket Pool progress is happening with Rocket Pool, and I'm really excited about Rocket Pool because it is inherent to Ethereum and its decentralization. So cool stuff is happening there behind the scenes. But also a lot of people don't have 32 ETH to stake, right? right? This allows them to do it if they have uh, a lot less. All right, Mm -hmm. let's talk about something else that's cool. So um, both YFI, the token, Mm -hmm. and BAL, the balancer token, are now available as collateral in Maker Vault. I'll give a quick take on this. I think this is awesome. Super Mm -hmm. bullish, dude, because this is um, trustless capital assets, on Ethereum. Uh, I am getting and was getting uncomfortable with all of the USDC inside like collateral backing die. And this is a very attractive alternative because these assets are all completely settled on Ethereum. There's nothing in some sort of traditional bank account. So I'm super bullish that this th- these assets are emerging and this collateral can be available uh, to back something like die. What's your take? Yeah, I think that's the exact right take. And I think the legacy of DeFi Summer 2020 was the emergence of native assets, native DeFi tokens on Ethereum that have value and therefore can them themselves be collateral, right? And that's how we retain trustlessness and, and purity, if you will, in DAI. Absolutely. And I, I read somewhere that uh, I believe um, maker the maker contract is now like the the fourth or the fifth largest YFI holder. So a whole bunch hmm. is getting put in there. It's like something like four percent, maybe more. Could be wrong on that, those numbers, but I think it's pretty close to that. All right, let's talk about uh, another release. This is the. Uh, do you remember Yam DeFi? I, DeFi I remember summer? Yam. I remember, remember the, mm-hmm. the first uh, vegetable farm here we had. Uh, they actually just released something. So Yam is still alive and kicking. They released something called the Umbrella Protocol which is actually um, trying to provide protection of your DeFi assets. I say release, but they're kind of announcing a soon to be um, in like alpha, in production alpha, essentially. But what I find interesting about this is that uh, Yam is actually building products. So mm-hmm. they've become sort Yam's of a DAO. this, it's a DAO. And they've got, mm-hmm. I think, something like 3 million in assets that have been contributed to their treasury just because whenever Yam trades over a dollar, mm-hmm. a portion 
of um, like the proceeds the from a re- yeah. rebase go into this this treasury, and they're using that treasury to fund interesting DeFi projects, right? Um, Which will probably ultimately have a value capture mechanism to put money back into the treasury. I'm sure. I'm sure that that is involved with this. It's very fascinating. It's almost like a new model for some kind of a DAO organization, but yep. um, like different. So mm-hmm. I guess they're shipping. They're still they're still like push, pushing things out there. Very um, cool. The last thing we should maybe cover is the EtherSync, uh, Ether risk, Ether, 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 Ether IS risk, Ether, Ether risk. risk. Okay, <laughs> I've always read it. I've never known how to say it. Um, they are delivering something for the real world. David, do you want to talk about this? Yeah, this is something that I've always thought would be really, really cool about Ethereum. This is one of these sci-fi futuristic products that I'm pretty bullish on Ethereum in general. I don't know if this is the product that is going to um, be the future version that I have in my head, but uh, prediction markets and risk markets on Ethereum uh, with in combination with oracles from, from Chainlink can allow people to purchase insurance on real world events that can help them um, secure their lifestyle. And so uh, the Ether Risk team and Chainlink have offered the ability to uh, purchase crop insurance to people in Kenya. So I'm guessing the way that this works is that like, if there's not, the, the theorized model is like, if there's not enough rainfall in your region of the world over a certain period of time, you can buy insurance against that. And so if you are a farmer, you can buy against a drought season. And something like that is being rolled out by the Ether Risk team and Chainlink. And so that's just really cool. Crop insurance in DeFi for areas that would previously not have had access to this right. type of financial instrument. That's kind of or what DeFi any, is all anywhere, about. Anywhere, perhaps. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, let's let's flip to news, David. So what's- if you are looking for the front page of DeFi, look no further than Zerion.io. Zerion is your home base for managing your DeFi portfolios. Zerion offers a central place for you to engage with all of the DeFi protocols and assets that you engage with on a daily basis, but all in one central spot. I've loaded up a wallet and Zerion is giving me the portfolio performance of all the assets in this wallet over time, as well as a breakdown of all the assets that I own, as well as all of my transaction history that I've ever done in an easy to view fashion. Zerion also lets you invest right into DeFi's best yielding financial opportunities right from their homepage. Zerion also makes it super easy to access interest in DeFi using applications like Compound and Aave in the background. And you can also exchange your assets using the Zerion app, using an exchange aggregator in the background to make sure that you always get the best rates. You can even use the Zerion mobile wallet to add your MetaMask or Argent or another Ethereum address right into your mobile wallet so you can see your portfolio and engage in DeFi on the go. Here I just loaded up my Argent wallet and now I'm going to load up my MetaMask as well. And Zerion will do the same thing. It will add all of my assets and wallets together all in one space and give me a portfolio summary of what's going on. Adding wallets is trivially easy. If you already have a MetaMask, you can get it right into the Zerion app and it can sync with your desktop app as well. And the best part is you can also buy Ether right into the app itself. Use the invest tab to look at all the things that you have invested in as well as other opportunities. And coming soon to the Zerion app is the ability to buy and sell your assets straight from your mobile device. So download the app. It works on iOS and Android. Go to Zerion.io, plug in your wallets and get a historical report of your portfolio over time, as well as a comprehensive breakdown of all the assets that you own and how much yield they're generating for you. 
Wiron is DeFi's first self-building project on Ethereum, focused on producing products for those who are interested in earning yield in DeFi. Wiron's various products are all built to suit each individual investor's preferred level of risk, from various vault strategies that leverage DeFi tokens to the safer earn system which relies on stablecoins. Vaults are aggressive yield farming robots, each with a unique strategy that is designed to maximize the yield of the deposited asset. Wiron employs some of the most informed developers in DeFi to keep the vault strategies updated with the various yield farming opportunities on Ethereum. For customers who are more risk adverse, the Wiron's Earn product may be for you. Earn is a yield aware dynamic money market that automatically seeks the best interest rates across the various DeFi protocols and regularly migrates your deposited stablecoins between the DeFi protocols that are returning the best yield at the present moment. Wiron is a system that is just a little over four months old, so things are still very much an experiment. However, this hasn't stopped people from depositing over $700 million worth of assets into the Wiron system in order to find yield on Ethereum. Perhaps the people that deposited all this money were tired of constantly making daily transactions to follow the best DeFi interest rates, and maybe the gas fees that they were paying ended up eating too much into their profits. With Wiron, it doesn't remove the risk of these various protocols that it leverages, but it does remove the overhead of constantly trying to make sure you're finding the best yield, and also so that you don't have to pay for gas to switch up your assets. Check out the products that Wiron has to offer at yearn.finance. That's Y-E-A-R-N.finance which they also have a nice statistics page to see what other people are doing. All right, uh, let's, let's flip to news, David. So mm -hmm. what's in the news? This is the first one. <laughs> Another rich guy invested in Bitcoin. I've heard like this one happening. before. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so who is this rich guy and why do we care? I don't, I don't care actually about who this rich guy is. <laughs> okay. Apparently it's a Mexican billionaire, but like just add one to the billionaires who bought Bitcoin column. That's, that's the news. Well, the news is he's has 10% of his liquid portfolio in Bitcoin. And apparently he's been purchasing from Grayscale since 2016 and he continues to purchase. And we're just finding out about this. I think there are a lot of high net worth individuals who already are in crypto assets and you'll find out a few years from now, basically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Coinbase. Coinbase went down. Man, that reminds me of 2017. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, in 2017, Coinbase went down all the time. And just because 2017 hit crypto companies, they blindsided them. They were not prepared for like the customer support and just the, the load. But also Coinbase has had three years to figure their shit out and they haven't seemed to have done that. So I can't tell if I'm like bullish because like our biggest exchange is crashing because of demand or I'm bearish because our biggest exchange is crashing because of demand. It's like, what, what take is there? I don't know. Brian Armstrong, come on the podcast. Disregard what David just said there. Your exchange <laughs> is great. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. It's, it feels almost nostalgic to me. And by the way, when we said went down, we just mean service outage, right? It's, yeah. you know, we're not talking about price here, but um, we'll see if that continues to happen. All right, PayPal. We've mm -hmm. talked about them for the last like, every single time. roll-ups, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, they are reaching some serious volume in terms of their crypto sales. Here's a headline right. that says, PayPal has reached 85% of Binance, at least Binance in the US volume, in their first month. This is in crypto mm -hmm. sales, is that right? Yeah, crypto volume, right, exactly. And so I think that just kind of lends an ear to why getting legacy institutions onboarded into crypto is perhaps even more valuable than building our own alternatives. Like if we want to reach out to the legacy world, we need legacy institutions to come onto crypto, right? Like I, they have the, the, the network effects that we want. 
It's just low hanging fruit right there. Yep. And yep. Uh, it's going to happen. Um, make okay. it easy. Like the, the bullish case for this bull run is that everyone in the world just has like 10 times better access to crypto. It's easier to buy crypto now. In our final boss series, as we call it, the nation state uh, doing something in crypto, um, there is a Dutch, the, uh, the Dutch central bank has told all Bitcoin exchanges in the Netherlands that their customers must actually prove that they really control their withdraw, their withdrawal address. So that means before you, if you're in the Netherlands, before you withdraw your Bitcoin or crypto from an exchange, you have to do some sort of identification, some sort of a test KYC AML. You have to test to, to ownership. No other European country requires this. I'm actually not sure because I think that, uh, oh, Switzerland does. There's Nick Carter. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. Uh, yeah, thanks, Nick. I knew you'd be there. Um, yeah, so uh, what's your take on this sort of thing? Like crypto banks are becoming regulated essentially that's right. what exchanges are and the nation state saying hey you got to know who you're sending right. the money to we have rules around this what do you think yeah so they're just making uh, exchanges cover their own ass with uh, their withdrawals so like if i have a coinbase app and i am buying drugs on the silk road and i send bitcoin from my coinbase app to my silk road address i actually can't attest to the ownership of that address because somebody else owns that and so like if i need to send it to my own address and then i can attest that I own that address. And then if I send that money to the Silk Road, I've attested or, you know, insert your criminal activity here. I've attested ownership over a Bitcoin address that made a transaction that did, that was associated with illegal activity. So it's really just about the nation state trying to get a grasp on where all the world's value is going. And so like, we, we would expect this to come out of the nation state is also perhaps an inf infringement on privacy. Yeah, it's also to me anyway, bearish a little bit on the Bitcoin network, because if you are scaling Bitcoin with crypto banks yep. uh, and all crypto banks require AML KYC identification, yep. then basically you're going to turn into a world where you've got some limited activity on chain, but all of the real economic activity is all AML KYC, no privacy, right? Um, hopefully that is not the fate of Ethereum and uh, DeFi. Maybe um, that's why there's so much Bitcoin on Ethereum. Maybe so, David. I think you're onto something because that keeps rising from week to week. <laughs> All right, let's talk about something else in the nation state world. Uh, the SEC right. chair, yes, no, chairman, chairman. Um, Jay Clayton. Jay Clayton, who we heard so much about for the last three years, he has stepped down and the headline is the crypto community rejoices are you having a party about this i i guess so i didn't really have a strong opinion about this but people really think that jay clayton was the individual that was getting in the way of a bitcoin etf and now that he's gone a bt a bitcoin etf is closer and so if that's true then absolutely let's get a bit bitcoin etf so people can access bitcoin via the legacy stock market and number can go up you know it's a bull market when we've got game of thrones celebrities talking about Bitcoin and crypto right. assets. So this is Maisie Williams Arya who Stark. is asking the question, Arya Stark, should I go long Bitcoin? Wow, look at these results. Yeah, <laughs> Bitcoin is not happy no. about that. Yeah, <laughs> that's, so that, that's pretty funny. Yeah, and the reason I think we want to talk about this is, is signals like this are important. Like Bitcoin is reaching into the mainstream. Like, and the people that are commenting on Maisie Williams' Twitter about whether she should buy Bitcoin or not are retail, right? This is how we access retail. Uh, also, it's worth to note that like, there was a, a, in 2017, in December, uh, Katy Perry tweeted out her painted fingernails that were all cryptocurrency themed. So uh, I remember that. Bitcoin, XRP, Monero. And like, that was literally the top. 
Like when you see celebrities with painted crypto asset toenails and, and fingernails, like hit that sell button because like it's, it's time to get out. Wow. Uh, so pay attention. But this to is not the like top, this. David. This is not You're the not top. Amazing. Okay. We're just going to see more and more of this as time goes on. Okay. We got to wait for her to paint her fingernails and then it's the top. Yes. So Specifically tweet, fingernails. It's fine. <laughs> All right. What is on your mind, my friend? Tell me what's on your mind. Yeah, so we released something on the Bankless newsletter this week, which I thought was pretty cool, which is a bunch of memes, a bunch of World War II era propaganda memes. And so the claim is that uh, the Ethereum developers, the Ethereum researchers have done their job. They've built out the network that Ethereum needs to be. Ethereum is built to run on incentives and incentives alone. It can survive in any environment. That's what it's supposed to do. However, there's a difference between surviving and thriving. And if we want Ethereum to thrive, it's up to the social layer of Ethereum. That's you, the listener. That's me, David. That's you, Ryan. The social layer of Ethereum is the community. And we need to uh, work on our meme ability, our, our spreading the message, our spreading the virus, right? And this is uh, this triggered very quickly a lot of Bitcoiners. I always like it when I throw out a tweet that gets a lot of Bitcoiners in my in my DMs telling me I'm dumb because I know I hit on a nerve. And this triggered Bitcoiners really fast. And I think that they know that Bitcoin is only something that they, they dominate in the narrative. They dominate in the social layer. That's their world. And they see uh, this as like entrance into their territory. And they previously would look on like Ethereum developments, like look at those stupid Ethereums developing their chain. Don't they know that the fight is in the social realm? And now, now, now we're done developing and now it's time to get into the social realm and Bitcoiners are, are feeling threatened. Nicely done, sir. A little fire with fire. Uh, I mean, Absolutely. when we say memes, we're not just talking about like gifs and images, although that's what these are and mm -hmm. pretty effective, but we're just talking about like simple, easily conveyed viral units of information, right? Information a great packets. Bitcoin meme is Bitcoin is gold, right? right. Super easy to digest mm -hmm. and, uh, and tell people about. So absolutely great improvements on the social layer, I think. And uh, man, you're triggering people. So yeah. must be doing something right. Hey, we're going to beat that drum a lot on the Bankless program. <laughs> Absolutely. No, Ryan, sorry. what's on your mind? Well, I've been thinking about what's the best way to get exposure to DeFi. And there's actually some debate about this. And this is kind of on my mind. And I, I want to like talk about it. Mm. Um, so I tweeted this out. I said, which of these provides the best risk-adjusted price exposure to DeFi specifically, DeFi specifically mm -hmm. on Ethereum? And I gave three options. The first is ETH. You just mm -hmm. buy ETH through the asset. The second is Bitcoin. And oh, the third wow. is, yeah, which we talked about <laughs> at the front, the, the DPI, uh, DPI DeFi index. So this is like top 10 by market cap or so DeFi tokens. Mm -hmm. So um, I can share the results. 55% of folks said ETH is the best way. 13% said Bitcoiners or Bitcoin is, is the best way. And 32% said the DPI DeFi index mm -hmm. is the best way. So fairly close between ETH and DPI index. What's your almost take? Two to, almost two to one ETH first DPI index. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's another way to look at it. Um, mm -hmm. What's your take? What's, I think what's the, the best way to get exposure? I, I think the important parameter here is risk adjusted. Um, and that's going to be ETH. And it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to measure because like, we don't even know what DeFi is. Like, what are we actually measuring here? Are we measuring the market cap of all tokens on Ethereum outside of ETH? And how do we get exposure to that? And is that Ether or is that an index of the tokens? Because I feel like the intuitive answer would be an index of a token. But I, I would like to claim that like, 
Ethereum and DeFi are actually synonymous where like applications in Ethereum, they're money Legos inside of Ethereum are Ethereum itself. You stitch all the contracts inside of Ethereum together and you create a single structure that is Ethereum. That's what Ethereum is. Like the, the superset of structures of Ethereum that we call DeFi, when you add them all together, they are Ethereum. And the value of Ethereum is directly reflected in the price of Ether. Uh, and so I would actually expect over, over a long time with more maturity in DPI that ETH and DPI track each other relatively well. Interesting. Yeah. And I do think that uh, it is, although DPI is a great product, is pretty early to index these things, right? So the top 10 DeFi assets, man, these, most of them didn't even exist a year ago, dude. And they so, change like, on a dime. They're going to change on a dime. They're going to flop in, like come in, come out. And it's going to take a long time for this to, to settle in any way like the S&P index has settled, right? So one, one way to look at it is if you're betting on DeFi on Ethereum, um, like what's the probability that uh, something like say Wi-Fi mm-hmm. is still exists in 10 years and is right. the reigning champ versus what's the probability that ETH is right. still there. And obviously ETH is going to be still there because it underpins Better the be. security of the network. So um, that's also another way to look at it. I would definitely wait towards ETH Though I do think DeFi tokens are going to have quite a successful bull run. I'm just not sure that an index will capture all of that activity. And to your point, on a risk-adjusted basis, it will either. All right, David, uh, should we talk about what is exciting right now? What are you excited about? Yeah, I, I, the, my take this week about what I'm excited about is using excited in a non-typical way, which like I'm excited and I'm ex- it's excitatory. I'm, I'm alert about it, but I'm actually, it's not very, it's not a happy exciting. I'm, I'm worried <laughs> about uh, the future of uh, specifically with COVID and COVID's legacy, uh, because I think it has, it's going to have a very lasting impact upon the world and the 2020s decade uh, is bleak. It's bleak. Uh, people, people think that uh, the two, year 2020 is just a taste of what's to come in the remainder of the decade. And it's highly likely that we have a very deflationary decade as things, as, meaning as things contract, right? We are seeing the de- demolishing of small businesses and the absolute growth in equity asset prices of massive businesses. If you are a big business, if you are Amazon, Walmart, Target, or Lowe's or whatever, your, price, your, your share prices are doing fantastically fantastically. If you're a small business, you are closing up for shop. Uh, and I think that's just a recipe for a dystopia. Um, I think there's going to be a massive contraction in the 2020s decade. And like, it, it feels weird to be in crypto because we are in such a, a polar opposite industry, right? Crypto is hot right now. And to some degree, the measure of the, the contraction of the legacy world is actually a function of how much crypto can expand, right? In the crypto world, we're trying to build this arc so that we can get the rest of the world onto it. And we need to build this arc quickly so that we can save as many people as possible. There's a flood coming. Like the reason why we're building an arc is because there's a massive flood coming. And that actually causes me a bunch of angst and I'm excited about it in, in a bad way. It just feels like society is almost cracking at the seams under this yep. under this pressure, right? So mm-hmm. we've got this uh, tweet that that I put up, similar to what you said, like Amazon profit up 100%, but small businesses 20% are 21% are closed. Mm-hmm. Revenue for the rest down 30%. It's, as we go into further lockdowns. As we go into further lockdowns, like what kind? Like how can a society? Um, exists with this level of, of uh, strain. I mean, there's right. got to be some form of, of social unrest coming yeah. our way. And I think we've seen some of this in 2020. You're saying that 
like for the foreseeable future, maybe all of the 2020s, I th- more yeah. of the same. I think there's no reason to think as to why the year 2020 is unique. And it's actually rather, it's much more rational to think that it is something as just a teaser of what's to come. All right. That's, that's normally what we talk, not what we talk about, yep. what we're excited about. Usually we're about, pretty fucking bullish. <laughs> it's what you're sober about. I guess yeah, that's, that's what the I'm sober, sober about. reality yeah. of things. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, let me flip on something that I do think is bullish, maybe bullish yep. for humanity. All this right. is a please super, need it. Yeah. You want some, you want some good news now? Yeah. All right. So the, here's the good news. This is maybe one of my, the, like the best charts I've seen all year. And for, for those that can't see it um, up at the top, there is kind of a green line that shows ether balance on exchanges. So the total amount of ether that is held in crypto banks on these exchanges. And there's a pink line that is percent of ETH supply in smart contracts. Well, as of the last like three or four months, all of a ton of the ether on exchanges and in crypto banks has actually bled out into smart contracts. So ether in crypto banks and exchanges down, ether in smart contracts and money Legos and bankless money systems for the world up. Mm-hmm. That is so phenomenally bullish to me because one of we my like biggest, it. I love it. One of my biggest worries about crypto is are we just creating the system that we formerly left, mm-hmm. right? Like new money, same system. New money, like same systems, like new bankers, maybe. It's, mm-hmm. it's uh, CZ at Binance and our friend Brian yeah. Armstrong. Come on the podcast, Brian. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we just created new bankers, but they're still the same old bankers. Right. Or are we really like for mm-hmm. real creating a decentralized bankless money system for the world? Mm-hmm. And this is an indicator that we are actually succeeding, that through mm-hmm. DeFi, Ether as a trustless store value asset is becoming more decentralized. What is more bullish long-term than that? I'm super bullish about that. Yeah. I'm really excited to see this. This is the bankless thesis, right? And like what what banks are, are just like the archetype of an intermediary. Like we we probably would have called this intermediary list, but that's not a very catchy word. And so we just- (laughs) No, it's that. But uh, like the, we could have seen that we, we predicted this for forever ago. And, it's, and it, all, I guess all it took was like to be able to f- achieve yield inside of DeFi. And all of a sudden the ether flowed into DeFi, right? Like, yes. E- Ethereum needs to find ways to make itself useful or else it'll never be adopted. And if it does find ways to make itself useful, then all the money is going to be in Ethereum, not on the, not on the margins, not on the edges, not in the, your crypto banks, but inside of applications, inside of DeFi. And one of those DeFi applications is Rocket Pool, which is where we can stake Ether in a, in a way that is distributed and decentralized. It's not with a centralized staking system. And it's another way to get Ether outside from the margins and inside into the world of DeFi, right? Like we can just build our own internal incentive mechanisms to keep things on the inside. Yeah, exactly. We are, this, this is why you and I, David, we talk, we, we love Bitcoin. Bitcoin's fantastic. I mean, both of us are Bitcoin bulls. Put that Especially right Bitcoin there, right? on Ethereum. So Bitcoin's great, right? So, but like, this is why we talk about Ether and Ethereum so much is because this is what a bankless money system looks like. The, mm-hmm. the problem with the Bitcoin network is it's beca- going to become more and more centralized over time. If you want to actually do anything with your, like your money, with mm-hmm. your wealth, you have to use an intermediary. You have right. to use a crypto bank, even if it's just sending funds, unless you're a whale that can afford big, like expensive block transactions, right? Mm-hmm. This is the antithesis of this. This says like, you can truly be your own bank. You can trade with Uniswap. You don't need an intermediary. You don't need a Coinbase. Uh, and so 
I do think that is, this is the, the bankless, the bankless thesis exactly in graph form. You know, uh, the, the other thing I was thinking about is just the, the raw power that we have, you know, like mm-hmm. how, um, kind of the internet gives you superpowers, right? Or like when you first got a smartphone, it was like, oh my God, like I'm so powerful. I can get anywhere in the world through Google maps. It's just, it's almost like a, um, a cyborg kind of add on to your, your human intelligence, right? Bicycle for the mind. Right. Bicycle for the mind. Okay. Steve jobs there. So I feel that way about uh, my Ethereum address, right? Mm -hmm. My Ethereum address is a hundred times more valuable than any bank account Mm -hmm. I have ever opened. You know, that uh, Chris Dixon thing where like, or it may, it's not Chris Dixon, but it's Silicon Valley saying is if you're going to build another product, can't just be like, a little bit better. It has to be 10 X better. That's Peter right? Thiel. That's Peter Thiel. Okay. Yeah, so like mm-hmm. zero to one. Okay. So, um, that's what I feel like an ether, uh, Ethereum address is. Mm-hmm. It's not, and it's not just 10 X in some ways it's like a hundred X better. It is a super new dimension. New, new dimension. I was just thinking about that. I've had to do some stuff with traditional banks this week, David, like wire funds and just like in your transfer, bankless. right? Like transfer. And they're like, no, you can't, why you can't, you know, there, there's a limit to how much you could take mm-hmm. out of this bank and put in that bank account. And like, um, it is so um, <laughs> inhibiting compared to my ETH address, antiquated. Yeah. Like I could do so much more with it. And I do think that um, the 2020s will be a period of time where people start to unlock this potential and realize it as people unlocked like their email address and found out all the cool things they could do with that. Or like, the Netscape browser and, and figure that out or the internet. Um, mm-hmm. It will give you superpowers. This is like a, yeah. Anyway, that's the other thing I was thinking about and very exciting from my perspective. It's also a, a superpower that we can share. Like you getting the superpower doesn't actually stop other people from also getting the superpower. And that's why you, the listener, should also go and recruit a friend because you should give them superpowers too. Like, well, it's actually, it's actually better than that because like the more people who are using mm-hmm. ETH addresses, the more like superpowers I have, more liquidity right. in the system, more yeah. users, greater network effect. It's yeah. like a uh, number goes a up. Log scale. <laughs> Everything goes up. Everything goes up. Yeah. So uh, get an accountability buddy and get a friend into Ethereum. Give them superpowers. All right. So we're talking recruiting this week has been the theme. <laughs> Give your friends superpowers. Bring them to Ethereum. Mm-hmm. David, I think this has been a fantastic weekly week. roll up. Third week of November. Excited about the future. Thanks for joining us for the weekly roll-up. Hope you're enjoying your Friday morning.